Howdy, folks. You're listening to the High Res, Low Res podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Fischel. I want to thank everyone who listened to the first episode and shared it online. I also want to thank everyone who reached out to congratulate me on this side project and were delighted by the pod through DMs, text, and email. I really appreciate all the positive feedback, and I hope to continue having everyone's support. Our next guest on the show is Jeremy Nguyen. Jeremy Nguyen is a cartoonist and illustrator. He is a regular contributor for The New Yorker and has illustrated a few books, including his latest book, Can I Pet Your Dog? In our conversation, we reflect on our 20s in Brooklyn and how we're glad we're in our 30s. Jeremy's past life working at a comedy club and comicsology, which is very apt right now. I struggle to remember the term indie sleaze, and uh, we talk about finding and building a space for community and so much more. If you liked our conversation, please rate, comment, and review the podcast, and be sure to subscribe to the show as well. If you have a question, comment, please email me at goodbadjpeg at gmail.com. Also, be sure to check out the show notes. Here's my conversation with Jeremy Nguyen. So how, how long have you, uh, you know, stopped living in Bushwick now? Like, like, Ooh, yeah, I haven't. So I left uh, Bushwick in the pandemic. I, I moved to Flatbush in, in uh, oh, in June, 2020? 2020. Yeah. In June, 2020, June, June, 2020. I so I so I at that point um I think it was like March of 2020 my landlord had sold her building that I lived in since like 2009 and like when I start when I lived in there I was paying like 450 a month and I had roommates <laughs> right I and then that. uh I like then just moved like like a couple of blocks down the road and it's still in Ridgewood uh queens right which is a stone throw from bushwick still yeah. was that the uh, basement apartment yeah it was a basement apartment yeah. and uh i went from like you know i think like when i left uh that place in ridgewood and moving to the other one i went from 900 dollars a month to 750 mm, okay. uh, which yeah. it's it's better and yeah. you know but uh you know, a- after the first like big rainfall, it started to like yeah. flood my, you know, apartment. Yeah. And it flooded like I think four times by the time I like ended up moving out. Four times. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I was. I remember like interviewing for, uh, like you know, a tech job, like tech illustration job. You know, uh, uh, and and not getting the job and just being like you know trying to play it cool as my 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 uh, apartment was basically flooding Damn. while i'm interviewing <laughs> your feet are on in water and my, my feet were literally in fall. water and i'm like <laughs> yeah just trying to play it cool and yeah. not getting the job here's my cv here's you know <laughs> yeah, mostly just because i i didn't work in illustrator uh that was i was a big yeah. part of it oh uh, my gosh yeah but uh but yeah, have you felt like, you know, do you feel like now that you live in Flatbush that your work has evolved from your early comics, which were very much about like dating and Bushwick and just kind of like a lot of like what you kind of the kind of uh, salad days of, you know, your 20s to what they are now? 
Yeah, yeah. All those all those Bushwick comics, uh, all those Bushwick Daily comics, Ranger and Bushwick. Um, you know, I was I was new to New York, and that was my way of proving to the world or saying to the world, "Hey, look, I'm." I'm one of you guys, right? I'm a New Yorker, right? I, I know all these New York jokes. That's that's what that book was basically. The mission statement was like, isn't the yeah. subway crazy, or <laughs> isn't it yeah. nuts when you lose your keys, or you know stuff, oh, stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, at least it wasn't like how Taylor Swift basically became the ambassador for New York for that one year and was like, right, here's right. what a bodega is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's getting paid millions of dollars basically to be do that. So you know, part yeah, of it. I would do that for a million. Yeah, and you know, you're at a comic fest. Basically, everyone's passing around the same twenty dollar bill to buy each other's comics. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, where did um, you move from, and where did you go to school? Uh, yeah, I was in Savannah, Georgia, for school for college. Um, but I, but by way of California, I grew up in California, the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was in Savannah. And I think everyone who goes to SCAD knows they're not going to stay in Savannah <laughs> after college. Um, but yeah, I interviewed a bunch of places, um, internships in Los Angeles and New York, <clears throat> and New York won out. I was, uh, I went, I, I, my first internship in New York was at Gotham Comedy Club. I was trying to do stand up oh. and trying to be in the comedy world. See, that makes so much more sense now as, you know, we're going to be talking about your, um, you know, your New Yorker cartoons and everything. But, yeah, it makes sense that you're like you kind of like got your in on comedy and then how that led into like illustration and comics. Did you study comics and illustration at at SCAD? Right. Yeah, I studied a sequential art, they call it. Um, we do have an illustration department. A lot of people move over to sequential when they decide they want to tell more stories um yeah and i was uh yeah i was doing stand-up you know at night some nights i had friends that i met through stand-up um in in savannah um and then yeah obviously debating whether i should take a comedy route or a comics and illustration Mm -hmm. route for the rest of my life did did um this internship pay at Gotham Comedy Club or no not really yeah I was a grunt um I didn't do much I was basically on an on-call assistant um if any weird projects came up like there was a dumb project where this is a guy who is well known in the comedy world for kind of being a shark um (laughs) uh his name is Tank but comedy yeah 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 (laughs) Andy, he, 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 he gets a lot of shit for, because, uh, Gotham does like stand up comedy classes, you know? And so they kind of like poach people to come take classes and then invite friends and family to come pay tickets to see them perform. Um, it's kind of a sad business model, uh, but that's kind of like a big moneymaker for them. And so I was his assistant for like weird projects where he shot like, birthday videos for his banker friends and stuff it it doesn't sound too far off from like ucb yeah well ucb i think has a little bit more integrity (laughs) yeah yeah it is it is like bring people to the shows i I feel like when you know if i like recall my early dating in like my 20s yeah 
uh, I remember like it seems like oh going to see a stand like seeing like a sketch comedy show at UCB is more of a likely than me going to Gotham comedy, which I've never been Absolutely. into my liar life. Yeah, yeah. These these yeah. places they do like they do like uh, you know funniest guy in finance competitions because they know that it's like oh yeah it's finance people have the money they'll bring people they think they're yep. funny they'll bring a lot of that type of club personality to the to the shows and yeah at least ucb is like you know you're paying five bucks to see your friends perform these gotham comedy shows are like people are paying like 30 dollar tickets plus two drink minimum to these shows right but also just like you know you want to study at ucb and like or the growlings in like you know or second city and all that because you know like one day you're gonna get the ticket to be on snl like somewhat yeah Jumpstart or like be seen by like producers and be seen Absolutely. to be on shows or something. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like I don't know, like the stand-up comedy route, you know, I love stand-up com- com- comedians and I, I see Absolutely. them like you know every month, but it, it's just like a hard grind for sure. It's a real grind. It's way harder, and you know, at least with com- for UCB, you know, you get on a team, mm-hmm. you know. And then, especially for UCB, there is a lot of, like, people in the industry coming to see those shows. They have great name recognition. Right. You know, these comedy clubs, nobody's really coming to the clubs to hire, you know. Um, Right. And, like, you know, I feel like Gotham is, like, a one that kind of put on your, like, your little CV of places you've you've done stuff at. But, you know, not everyone's going to be going to the comedy cellar. You know, yeah. like right out of your Gotham class, you know, it's <laughs> not at all, you know, and you can yep. be lucky to have uh, Louis C.K. just stand up and just, hey, like, I'm here to do a surprise thing. And everyone's like screaming or something. I don't know. Right. Especially back in the day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, You're like screaming for different reasons now. <laughs> oh, yeah, for, for different reasons now uh, from like, yeah, to no. No. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, so you're in New York and uh you know, why did you end up staying here? Like, you know, I yeah. mean, why didn't you join the buckets of, you know, cartoonists that just flew to Los Angeles to be animation people? Right. Yeah. Well, animation was never what well, it was on my radar in high school. And then I took like animation classes at the Academy of Art uh, University as a, and, and I took like summer school classes and I learned quickly that animation was not something I wanted to pursue. I did a 2D animation class and a 3D modeling class. And I was like, neither of these are (laughs) (laughs) drawing frames, drawing bouncing balls for Mm -hmm. that lasts like, you know, less than five seconds. I was like, this is not it for me at all. And then, you know, modeling in 3D. Is it, is it 3DS Maya was back in the day? Yeah. I was just like, this is tedious. Uh, and then I took a comic book illustration class and I was like, okay, that's it. Um, but yeah, I didn't want, I'd never wanted to pursue animation after that. So LA never had like a chokehold on mm-hmm. what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Um, coming to, I came to New York once on a college trip with a um, professor, John Lowe. Uh, he was Dean at the time, but he taught like one class and did this summer course thing um and he was like an inker for archie comics in his day um and new york became so much more 
magical to me. I was going, you know, on that trip, it was a week-long trip. We stayed somewhere on 30th Street on the east side, and I would walk five or six avenues to get to the UCB theater (laughs) and watch shows at UCB every night. I watched Cat on Sundays and then tried to see whatever sketch or uh, stand-up they had for the rest of the week. Um, But also we got to visit a bunch of illustrators and artists and comic book uh, illustrators. I went to the Green uh, Greenpoint studio with um, Arkikuo Johnson when he Mm -hmm. was living there um, with Paolo Rivera, the, the... comic book artist uh, he, he had he had pages hung up in his loft yep. um of the comics that he was working on i think it was a scrapped project because i know ne- you know it's never been released but he had these giant pages on like fishing wire just strung up in his bedroom you know just lines of it like 30 50 pages on every wall and um paula rivera was painting marvel covers at that time you know, doing Marvel Legends, Wolverine, and Cyclops and stuff. Beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful work. And I didn't see any of that in L.A. when I visited. I never saw artist studios when I went to L.A. Mm-hmm. So New York sort of had that lasting impression on me very early on my first visit. I saw Rebecca Isaacs was another SCAD alumni that we met. Cliff Chang, got to meet him and his studio. Just having that barrier broken down of just like oh you can really be an artist in new york you can live mm-hmm. a certain lifestyle you can have four dudes to an a, to an apartment and still be happy that was like very um what's the word just like enchanting to me for sure it, it's definitely like a romantic vision of like living and working hustling in new york city when i yeah uh, when i was uh, an undergrad in philly um I came to New York a lot to go to uh, the Jonathan Levine Gallery. Cause uh, I was, yeah, because you know, I was like, uh, like I, I did paintings in undergrad, and I was obsessed with like pop surrealism in like the early two thousands and how it was kind of popping off. Uh, Joshua Liner had a gallery in uh, Philadelphia before he moved it to New York. Uh, so I got to see and also meet like artists like you know like Audrey Kawasaki. And oh just like God. in like uh, so many other in like Jeremy Fish, just yeah. like so many people that like now they're just kind of like amazing, <laughs> like out there, yeah. like artists uh, that didn't like Molly Crabapple have like her own store at one point. Well, I think that was like a island or something. That was like a big thing for like yeah. a lot of those pop surrealist arts because I know Tara McPherson also had Tara like, her McPherson. own store. Yes. Yeah. Um. I think it was like the cotton candy machine. Cotton candy. That's exactly it. Yeah. 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 It's Pearson for sure. Yeah. So, uh, we did a New York trip, uh, in, in school and neither me going to the Jonathan Levine gallery or the New York trip, uh, was really what got me to be like, I should move here. Like mm-hmm. when we came to New York, I think we started at the society of illustrators of course. and then we went to Williamsburg to uh get lunch at the Roybling Tea Room RIP doesn't yeah. doesn't exist anymore. That's right. Uh, I've been there. I remember like just getting like like being like this is fucking expensive menu. <laughs> <laughs> for <laughs> you tea. Know, <laughs> yeah, for like tea and like, you know, uh some amazing stuff. Yeah. You're, you know, years later I'd moved to New York and take 
you know, when I had friends come to the city, I would, you know, take them there because it was such a cool experience. Oh, yeah. Uh, but then afterward, we went up to, the, you know, the the now, you know, well-known pencil factory, which has been written about, you know, I think if you just Google, like, the oral history of the pencil factory, it'll yeah. show up in, like, a print magazine print article. magazine, print, yeah. <laughs> and, like, why, like, that was such a, like, or, like, the oral history of that and all that was so, like, you know, great as like in terms of like a school of art and thought and like the idea of like having illustrators like kind of together in like one space to continue this kind of thing that you start in undergrad or grad school and just kind of whatever. Anyway, I got to meet uh, Sam Weber uh, and I met Grady McFerrin and uh, uh, Rachel Solomon and uh yeah, hitters, yeah yeah and chris sal's neil uh and i got to meet uh josh cochran for the first time uh and yeah he, he was like making you know he was like drawing in pencil it was when he was doing his like more like formalistic kind of figures in pencil scanning in his computer and now which is like his work is kind of transformed into something else uh, oh, yeah. in a way that's just so much more playful and uh less like something else but i was really in awe of like seeing his work and also seeing like sam weber's like ink ink drawings uh it was just incredible like moment in time uh as a young person it seems like everyone in that class was just like super talented they Mm -hmm. just like robustly changed the industry altogether yeah oh yeah like if you were someone that worked in editorial advertising or children's book like that was like the powerhouse that like people worked in, um, you know, and, um, I definitely wanted to be them, you know, you know, growing up up and going to college and being, yeah. And I mean, when I, when I, when I, when I got out of grad school, I, you know, my grad school friends, uh, that people that I went to grad school with, they started a studio down in the, the firehouse that's in Bushwick off the Morgan stop. Nice. And um, they told me how much it would cost to like rent per month, and I kind of like, like, ah, my, you know, I saw student loans, and yeah. it was like really, it came down to like a, like a cost analysis of me, like being like, I can't afford it. I kind of want the studio space, but it just makes so much more sense to just have it, you know, as a separate room in my apartment. And, you know, also like the tax doing taxes with it just seems easier to deal with. It's just like all deducted off of like a home office kind of situation. But anyway, that's the problem with living in Bushwick though, is that it's like so much access to all this studio space that you can like go and see. And you just, have this FOMO of like, am I a real artist if I don't have a Bushwick studio? You know, Bushwick Open Studios really makes you feel bad. Yeah. I, I, I really feel like I can, I, I feel like I would probably spend more time away from the computer and painting uh, if okay. I actually had a studio, like if I yes, had the space. For sure. yeah. uh, but now I, I, I basically kind of resign to just, yeah. I feel like I'm just kind of more resigned to just, you know, what, what pays the bills and other kind of interest of mine, like, like podcasting and making videos and stuff like that, which is fine. Yeah. Um, when, when, for me, it's like, you know, I, I've learned that I've tend to work later and later into the night. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it would be great to have a studio that also has a kitchen, also has oh, a bathroom, yeah. also has a shower. And then at that point, I'm like, oh, I just want a second apartment. <laughs> it's stupid. Yeah, I, I have a I have a cartoonist friend that actually had uh, a second apartment. He's like older. Um, okay. Yeah. And so he kind of used it as that. Yeah. Uh, I think he sold that place recently. But what actually kind of getting back to kind of like the, the end point of where I'm going with this is what actually wanted me to move to New York was uh, Icon Illustration Conference. So oh, yeah, yeah. I went to the 2008 Icon <clears throat> Illustration Conference that happened in New York. There's no way in hell I could afford the hotel that was like it was like in, like near Grand Central Station or something like that. And so what I did was uh, I spent $20 a night at a hostel in the Upper West Side. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Nice. Yeah. So I took, um, which I don't, I don't, I don't know if there's a better name for it, but it's people referred it to as the Chinatown bus. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know those. It's like $20 round trip, uh, yeah. you know, affiliated in New York. And is that hostel uh, still around? Yeah. Those buses still, they're, they're still around, but I think the cost might be a little more, uh, but it's still very cheap. Uh, they go to like DC, they, they, they go everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I took that up to New York, and uh, this this was, I think, you know, before I kind of knew about Bolt Bus and Megabus. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I, I took that up and uh, spent, you know, I, I think I, like, dropped, like, 100 bucks on my on the room <laughs> that I, like, stayed in with, like, with, like uh, five other people in a room in a bunk bed situation and yep. mm-hmm. a separate bathroom on the floor. It was definitely a weird experience, but... Sure. Uh, it was definitely one that was very interesting to see and also meeting like, uh, a lot of people from a lot of different countries, which was awesome. Yeah. That's nice. When I, yeah. And so, uh, anyway, I basically would just take, I think not the AC, but I think one of the number lines down and I would take the shuttle from 42nd street to grand central and I would like walk into Grand Central <laughs> and just be like, "What Amazed. the hell? Like, yeah. this is incredible!" And like, then getting lost <laughs> every time, <laughs> leaving Grand Central, trying to find where the conference is being held at, and then going I to see lectures. Lost Grand Central for sure. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, and then learning a lot of stuff. That's where I I got to meet like um, I got to meet Callie Seesmeyer and Sam Bosma. There were volunteers at that conference. Wow. Uh, I met um, uh, Jessica Hish at that conference. Nice, yeah. We became buds then. Everyone else just hustling to try and make things as cheap as possible. Yeah, and like I, you know, I got to meet a lot of really great people. And uh, the big complaint about that conference, which, you know, I only know now, but not not in in hindsight now, but the reason why that that conference wasn't as successful is because – you know, if you lived in New York, you just went home. Whereas like uh, a, a conference that would be in any other city, you know, you, everyone would be kind of conjugating at that hotel, hotel and yep. there'd be more of like everyone would like hang out or whatever, but that just yeah. it didn't really come to be. I see. And anyway, yeah. that trip to New York where I traveled the subway literally every day for like, for like almost a week and everything really had me just be like, all right, like I think I can do New York. And then, it's, uh, and, and then I had, yeah. And then I had a whole conversation with, uh, Tim O'Brien who, uh, okay. who, uh, taught at UARTS at the time. Wow. And I think it was like, uh, 
my junior year and he said like everyone should have at least two more years to really like study uh yeah. because you get so wound up on like having a style having your business shit right yeah. and all that and then i was just like all right i'm just gonna go to grad school and that that's how i got to new york was i just I see came to new york right. for grad school and yeah. i just ended up staying in the same apartment for like a decade <laughs> it's a good transition yeah no your society story, your icon conference stories, yeah, that makes me remember that mine were Mocha and Mocha Fest. Yeah. You know, Mocha when they had the gallery in Soho before they got acquired by Society of Illustrators. You know, yeah. they had a group show of just like every cartoonist and comic artist you can imagine, just like wall to wall, you know? It's not like a gallery where it's like one row of art all around. It was just like, floor to ceiling of art mm -hmm. um and i've also got to see um our sikoriak um you know his masterpiece classics that that was formative stuff i was just like blown away by his level of detail of being his you know his his whole thing is aping other people's art styles and that fascinated me as a as a an artist a, a cartoonist in college who didn't know what my style was and I was basically trying to ape other mm -hmm. artists' style in order to find mine. So those were incredible. Mocha Fest, of course, you know, meeting mm -hmm. all these zine people and the indie crowd. Just like that definitely blew my head open because I thought it was all just like, you know, manga or DC and Marvel. I thought that was the mm -hmm. world. Right. Or, and, and Scholastic, I guess. Um, but having that. And like learning about in, indie comics and, oh, yeah. and like all that. So yeah. uh, we, we already really touched about it like 20 minutes ago. Uh, but, you know, tell me about, you know, your early Bushwick comics were about like you being like, I'm seen. I am a New Yorker, just like all of you. Hello, fellow teens kind of thing. <laughs> right, exactly. uh, <laughs> you know, so uh, like t t tell me about like your your growth within within that. Yeah, no, I mean, I was I was working a day job at the time I was doing those comics Oh, what was your day job? Uh, it was, yeah, I was working at, uh, thankfully, a, a related um, company called Comixology. Oh, cool. Um, I was a digital editor there, just making sure that comics were programmed correctly um, for reading on iPhones and stuff. Um, and it was nice because it was still very comics adjacent. Um and my entire team were people who are also cartoonists and writers and illustrators from, you know, from SCAD, from SVA, CCS, RISD, Pratt. We had all the kids uh, <laughs> from those schools on our team and trading, you know, lots of information and trading lots of uh, tips and secrets about doing cartoons. I think, you know, there were people who were just like starting to learn what Kickstarter was at the time. Um, and a lot of us were just trying to figure things out. And, you know, a lot of them went on to, like, produce work for, like, Image Comics and work at, you know, do stuff for a bunch of different other clients. And I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was trying to make things work. Um because I just didn't see myself working in those capacities. You know, I, 
there was a lot of like Adventure Time comics at Boom Studios, and I was like, how do I get a cover? And then I learned that they paid like dog shit. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, as much I feel as- like anyone that does anything with Boom, they're just doing it for the love and not the money. I know it's really sad to see, um, and it's it's also just like a des- there was definitely a desperation of wanting to do work, so you took on any gig. You did yeah. backup pages for you know regular show that paid like dog shit, <laughs> but hey, you got to say that you had comics under mm-hmm. your belt. Um, but yeah, I, I, I couldn't figure out what my thing was. Um, and so, you know, this was a time of Buzzfeed listicles were hot and I was like, you know, listicles are basically just comics. They're just, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're just collecting funny images and putting them with a little bit of text. Um, and so I figured out a way to make comics that read and felt like a listicle with but Trojan horsing it so that people don't think that they're reading listicles. Right. Um, so I had just like dumb shit, like, you know, what are the dumb, what are the dumbest drink cocktails that you had in Bushwick? And it's all stuff like, Oh yeah, you had aioli for French fries. You, you drank, um, uh, different green sauces at all the Mexican restaurants. Um, and it became a way for me to start observing the world around me as a young 20-year-old and making sense of it and make fun of it and have this uh, common language that I was witnessing with other, you know, millennial, uh, you know, this was a time of hipsters and hipster culture. So I was just, yeah. like, trying to comment on that world that we were living in, Um uh, through these comics and, you know, show that, uh, reflect what, what's happening. I I like that. Um, the term hipster as it's kind of been revived in the two thousands. Like I first became aware of like the word hipster because of a Philadelphia weekly article that came out in, I think 2006. And it, it, it kind of stayed in kind of the, the lexicon of like most people, I think through like the early 2010s and sure. it just hasn't been as used as much, I think because of like the death of like American apparel and, yeah. you know, uh, just kind of like what, what, like the sleaze, <laughs> what, what, what are, is the sleaze indie guy or something like that? What, what is it called? Oh, uh, wait, what? I don't, oh, the photographer? No, no, not Terry Richardson. Um, <laughs> I mean, no, like sweet. it's like uh, I don't know. It's like a term that's kind of been brought back up, uh, right? In, I mean, hipster, in, in, like yeah. in terms of like in, uh, yeah, in like a TikTok kind of like situation of like the revival of like uh, the sleaze something hipster. I do not remember like sleaze at all. <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, it was never really something that I ever called it. But I'm uh-huh. like, I guess yeah. like if if it's a hipster sleaze, it's like you're wearing the Terry Richardson like kind of glasses and right that right. whole vibe yeah yeah which is, i don't know yeah. which that Likely can that, that can go to die in my opinion yeah. <laughs> oh it's dead i hope it's dead yeah I, it's I crazy so. how long ago that was it makes us feel sound so old doesn't it yeah um, well we are yeah. we're in our 30s so we're in our 30s we're mm-hmm. we're we're dead <laughs> uh i mean I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna make a joke uh but if this was the cold email podcast and we were the 220 five-year-olds on that podcast we'd be like ew you're 35 ah like who are you (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I love that podcast. Yeah, I love that podcast. By the way, uh, yeah. but but when they joke about thirty somethings, it reminded me when I was at the American Illustration Party for the first time and being like, uh-huh. "Who are all these old people in their thirties?" And now hilarious. I'm thirties, and I'm like, "No, I'm that guy now that they're talking yeah. about." I'm somewhat of that. <laughs> You know, now I just feel, I feel so comfortable. I'm so glad I'm 30. I'm so glad I'm not 20. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad, you know, I have, I have lost, not shed it completely, but I am definitely less and less desperate as years go on. Yeah. I have yeah. I think it's a really good way to put it. I kind of feel mm-hmm. the same way about that in so many ways, like econo- economically and emotionally and yeah. in, in so oh many ways. God. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you, you worked at Comixology. How long did that last? Oh yeah. So I was there from 2012 to, uh, (laughs) I put in my two weeks notice the day that Trump was, (laughs) uh, elected. (laughs) You're like, fuck off forever. I'm out of this. Am I, if I, I always say this, I'm like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to be, I'm going to die as an illustrator, not as a corporate cog in an Amazon company. <laughs> so t- tell me about all the, the freelance work that kind of led up to you being like, uh, logging off from comiXology, you know, for the, for, for like ever, you know? Absolutely. So yeah, I was doing these Stranger in Bushwick comics for myself, basically. I, I, mm-hmm. I, we published them in Bushwick Daily. And they paid me like, you know, I'll get you a beer. Oh, less than that. You know, (laughs) 20 bucks if, if, if I could, if, if it like did well. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Usually it was just like, oh yeah, come to this party I'm throwing and I'll buy you a beer. Um, And so that was just for me, um, basically, but I was all, but it did lead to me getting work elsewhere. That's when I started doing illustrations for Thrillist. Um, and, uh, Gothamist here and there and some like weird coffee startup companies we're trying to oh, take yeah. off. So earlier we were like, how f- did we meet? And I think yeah. it's the Thrillist connection. Cause I was a staff illustrator yeah. there. Our director and our illustrator yeah. there. I think it was that. Yeah. 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 It probably was that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So I was freelancing and I think you came up and said, Hey, do you know how to get a full-time job there? And I was like, I have no idea, bro, but good luck yeah. to you. I'll, I'll recommend you. I, I, I so the way that I got that gig was, um, I basically saw the listing on indeed of all places. Right. Of course. And applied. Nice. And, yeah. And, and like a lot, I think a lot of my students are like, how do I get a full-time gig? I'm like, just go on indeed. It's, it's, yeah. it's literally not that hard. It's not so bad. Uh, it, it, it exists there. There's also like working, not working and a bunch of other sites that are like, yeah. and then also you have like, you know, the creative circle and you know, all those kind of all things. The different job boards. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you yeah. know, it's a thing. Anyway, you're, you're doing things for Thrillist and what yep. else? Um, just like weird coffee. I, there was like one coffee startup that was trying to be like an order ahead app right before Starbucks launched theirs. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I did, like, weird gigs, you know, just, like, Bushwick startup people. That was the life back then, startup culture. I mean, you went through it with Thrillist. They had very VC yeah. money to blow. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so I was doing weird gigs like that every so often, um, and I was at Comixology. I would, like, spend my lunches scanning artwork on the 
company scanners and trying to color pages in between breaks, um, answer emails on a separate laptop in my bag. Um, it was, it was funny. Um, yeah. And then I got some gigs through comiXology. They let me illustrate a few articles here and there. Mm -hmm. Um, and a few pieces, you know, I got to go to Angoulême, the Bon Destiné festival in France and do some illustrations with them. Um, that had been a dream of mine in college to go to that, uh, festival um so yeah it would you know it wasn't all bad uh it was fun um Mm -hmm. to work a full-time job and figure stuff out at the same time um yeah I loved it and then you know there just came a point where I was like all right if I really want to make a real go of this you know if uh I I had heard about New Yorker Mm -hmm. um and I had always wanted to do covers like my hero Adrian Tomina um, I was always like, I'll do graphic novels and New Yorker covers. That's the trajectory that this other right. Asian American artist has done. That means I could do it, right? Um, but it became real when I had friends who were submitting to the New Yorker uh, cartoon section. Um, you know, I had a friend named Sam Marlowe who had sold a few cartoons. He brought on his friend Ellis Rosen, who was a SCAD uh, uh, fellow alumni. Um, and then Ellis, uh, brought on, brought me on, um, to start submitting to, uh, their editor, Bob Mankoff at that time. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I had this all lined up and I was like, okay, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to build up a a portfolio of single panel cartoons. Um, you know, I'm going to stop doing Stranger in Bushwick and channel all my comedy into, uh, New Yorker cartoons. Um, wow. And so then, yeah, in January of 2017, um, I visited the offices and started submitting. That's incredible. What was your first comic that you uh, got published? Yeah, I sold to them a cartoon featuring two cave women, um, and I have it. Uh, I have the original hanging up on my art uh, on my wall. But these two cave women are saying. Um, uh, remember when real men had names like Ugg and Gog? Now they're all named Florg and Smurg. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, that's the wit that gets into the New Yorker, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those uh, deep, you know, observations about human <laughs> psyche that are very chuckly but not laugh out loud funny. It, it's, it's definitely like a, a good spin on like remember when everyone was named daniel and jeremy and now it's brooklyn and Wyatt. <laughs> that's funny that you use our names it's as the setup the because same. my mind was like madman era like oh they all used to be named like don and frank yeah and you know harold and now they're all named yeah. jeremy daniel taylor <laughs> Well, when I, when I was in art school, there was like literally like four Daniels in my class, including yeah, me. man, oh my god. So when you referred yeah. to a Daniel, you had to refer to him as like first and last name. Yeah, you know? and yeah, so Daniel. we all just started going by nicknames. Uh, you know, uh, by the end of it, it just made it easy. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, so like when people like uh, you know when people like go and be like hey fish like it's because they knew me from like a long time ago when everyone wow. called me fish and not daniel yeah uh, the phases we go through with our names is, al- is also like i you know when i was like super punks i'm talking like mohawk and like painted leather jacket with studs and everything mm-hmm. now i'm just like 
I'm like lowercase punk now as, as I'm older. Um, now you are very much a Daniel. <laughs> now, now I'm very much Daniel. Daniel. <laughs> Mr. Like, Mitchell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, professor to some professor, people. Professor. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think before Facebook, like no one really knew my name. They just knew me yeah. as Fish. And I was like, yeah, let's just keep it that way. Just in Do case it. the cops get involved, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Breaking the law kind the of thing. Regular name. Hey, yeah. there goes one. Yeah, there goes. Yeah, fish. yeah. So you gotta go catch him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, that that's cool about your first New Yorker, uh, uh, comic. You know. Yeah. And, and all yeah, that. that. Um. So since doing the New Yorker comic, that has, I imagine, led to other really fun projects. Absolutely. All of my work I get now is definitely directly you know, because of what I've done for the New Yorker. Um, yeah, it's, it's always been my goal to try and sell as many cartoons as I can to the New Yorker. And I, and I definitely tried to take advantage of that as much as possible. My first year of submitting, because it's just like, I just need to get it as in the magazine or online as much as possible Mm -hmm. just so that I'm become synonymous, uh, with the magazine. I, you know, I, I, I've, you know, Emma has reached out to me like twice and it was like, you should submit to us. And I think for me, what's happened (laughs) is, is like, I am not a great writer. And so I end up just writing a bunch of stuff and and sketching and then just nothing really comes and I just forget about and I'm on to the next project and assignment that kind of comes up. So, I I really admire you and so many people who are able to write so well uh, and create, you know, incredible, you know, one punch kind of like comics and <laughs> cartoons. Thank you. Yeah. Writing is the hardest part. So I, I don't fault you for being like, dude. Did you did you take any uh, creative writing courses or was it just you pulling from uh, your Gotham days uh, at, the, <laughs> at, the car, at the comic place? Yeah, I took. I mean, yeah, I did stand up at college and wrote a ton. You know, my my best friend and I, Josh Wood, who I who I did the, one of those board games with. Um, he and I—that's how we met in college. He was a MFA animation guy, um, and he became a teacher. And uh, we wrote together. We had a he, we had a, a third friend of ours whose name actually was Peter Griffin. Um, he oh was the God. funniest of all of us, but we wrote together all the time. We took, we didn't take classes. The only time I took a writing class was I actually did take a, a sketch writing class at UCB. Um, one of my first years in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was again, me scrounging up $400 and blowing <laughs> it on this class. Um, it was an okay class. It was decent. Met some onion writers and, uh, um, got to learn a bit about you know what sketch means. It's it's crazy how talented they are too. It's 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 fascinating to see you know adjacent worlds of people who are also incredibly gifted and just hearing their homework assignments for class. I'm just like, how the f did you come up with this? Yeah, you know, insane idea. And and there was a guy who did a. Uh, a very Bushwick idea for a sketch. His whole thing was that it was like a character based sketch. And his observation was that anytime there was a broken window in Bushwick, um, a, 
you would just see a Puerto Rican flag just covering the window. <laughs> Genius observation. And he yep. wrote a he wrote a character of just a guy who who uses Puerto Rican flags to fix everything in his life. So like a broken arm, it would be in a Puerto Rican flag. Yep. You know, any relationship he had, he would just tear out the uh, Puerto Rican flag and fix it. Um, genius. And I, so that sort of like led me on the trajectory of doing Bushwick comics and stuff. And I feel like uh, if I like did a sketch, I'd probably write it as like, you know, you, you, you turn 21, you go into Carmelo's and you just get lost until you turn 25 and you're like, I'm too old for this place. And then you finally exit Carmelo's. That's incredible. That's perfect. Yeah. For, for, for those that are not uh, New York or Bushwick centric that are listening to this, because this is very like a like a very Brooklyn conversation right now. Car- uh, Carmelo's is basically just it's it's a lot like uh, also Union Pool, where it's just basically just pool like a, tables, pool tables, beer and just, uh, beers and just a sleazy beer place where young people go right? hang out. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Speaking of fun, uh, I'd, I'd love to talk about like how you've like kind of built like the, kind of the comics community around you a little bit. So, um, tell me about uh, Project Comics at the Brooklyn Art Library. Yeah, so Project Comics was a comics reading we did in the space of Brooklyn Art Library, which is like people might have heard of that place. They uh, they they house a bunch of sketchbooks in like a library setting where you can go and pull out sketchbooks and looking through and stuff um great beautiful space we did this cool event there where we invited cartoonists and artists to read comics in front of a live audience on a projected mm-hmm. um screen um T- tell me about on- like tell me about like what is like what is the purpose of like comics reading that and how is that different than like if I just bought a comic and read it, like what's the advantages to this kind of situation? Yeah, we, I, you know, this is not a new idea that I started. It's, you know, Bob Sikoriak has done it. Yep. Um, All these people like KGB bar and, and, uh, and, you know, I think they do them all over the place in different conventions and different ways. But, you know, what's great about it is that it's a lot of, usually younger artists coming in and presenting their work in a way that um, showcases their voice because they're literally reading it aloud. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I loved about the form is that, especially at Comixology, the form um, really isolates panels and so that you're reading singular panels um, and moving on to the next one. And it really just works for comedy and timing and just being Mm -hmm. able to not read ahead and have jokes spoiled um so i thought it was a really beautiful way to present comics in like a different context and there was a hunger for it in new york you know um Mm -hmm. i can't imagine having done this in savannah georgia where um the only art people there are art students um, but it really works in New York, I found, and I feel like it's starting to spread in L.A. and San Francisco and Chicago, definitely. Yeah, I was about uh, to say, like, those cities, I was going to mention those, I was like, those feel yeah. like the other cities that have, like, a bigger community that's not, like, right. this massive one in New York. Portland, Austin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And 
you know, it is it is something that I thought was like a very very cool way to experience comics. A great way to hang out with other cartoonists who, like me, don't really drink, don't really want to go out and mm-hmm. get blasted. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I took this idea and partnered up with another person who was doing a similar show. Um, her name is Aubrey Nolan. You've met her. Mm -hmm. Um, and she and I had the same philosophy of like, you know, people don't really want to just go out to bars and hang out. We're all very busy artists. Um, and we also knew that we're trying to, a lot of us are very career focused and career oriented. So if we invite people to come do readings, you know, this is a way where you can see them live, uh, have their fans on Instagram and Twitter come out and buy books from them in person um, and not have to compete with 200 other people at a comics convention. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just them. It's just five artists uh, on a single night um, reading their work. And we expanded it to include, like, animators that we liked. Um, and, yeah, it was it's super fun just to be able to have, like, a consistent monthly thing that was, you know, conveniently located for me, 10 blocks away from my apartment, <laughs> where I can just go and meet up with people who I don't get to see on a regular basis. All pre-pandemic, of course, too. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's tough. It's tough getting uh, people to hang out. Yeah. Um, and do you feel like you have, uh, you know, you know, built friendships and just kind of like found other people kind of coming together because of this? And like, you feel like you have a lot of friend group connections because of this kind of thing? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, Aubrey was very good and proactive of making sure that we had a lot of POC representation in our mm-hmm. lineup. Yep. Um, she was the one who put me on to all the um, art directories for people of color, women of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to meet these people um, just really broke down so many barriers. You know, we invited a lot of heroes of ours. We invited a lot of people whose work we, like, admired and wanted to be friends with. Um, And sure, you know, that might have been the ulterior motive of throwing this. Panels of People had so many goals, including, you know, one, celebrating comics, two, celebrating artists, but also, you know, just getting to hang out, having a social place, and then also getting to meet people that might not, you know come out and hang out with us at a bar and not, and not know us at all, but they would definitely come out to do a reading. Um, and it was just so perfect. And, you know, having, having all those goals met in one thing every month, it made, it made doing the work for it, like, you know, easy and something that we wanted to do instead of work, work. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, now I'm definitely, you know, I, I still see all these people that we've met um, over the years here and there at different conventions. Yep. Our paths cross um, uh, all the time. And I'm happy to say that it was, you know, because of those connections. How did um, people find out about this show? Was it strictly from Instagram? Did people just kind of roll up onto, 
you know, word bookstore and then later vinyl fantasy, which is not an adult bookstore. It's a, they sell vinyl <laughs> records and comics and other cool accessories and stuff. Uh, they just kind of like roll up onto it. Like how are, how do people find out about it? I mostly just say this because, you know, people always like students specifically that I've taught wonder like, how do I build community? How do I find this community? And so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering that from your, your perspective as someone that promoted it as well as, you know, lined up these uh, amazing people that do comics from, you know, the, the novice people starting out that have like raw talent to, you know, legends in our minds. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we definitely promoted it on like Twitter, Instagram and all that. But we tried to take out, you know, space on like Time Out New York. Um, but I generally think it was word of mouth, you know. Yeah. Going back to our, my stand-up days, it's just like you invite people and they bring their friends, you know. It was a free mm -hmm. show. Um, we All we did was sell beers, I think. Um, but it was a free show. Uh, we didn't have any other way to really pay comics readers for coming and reading yeah. besides taking a billion videos and photos of them and posting it all over Instagram <laughs> as much as we can. Um and, you know, I even, like, had photographers come in and do headshots of people um, and take event photo, beautiful, gorgeous event photos for some of these artists. Um, and, you know, obviously we sold, let them sell their books um, as well. Um, and that's not uncommon for these kinds of shows. Mm -hmm. um, and I think just... Hopefully, word of mouth, just people just kept talking about the show and being like, hey, I'm doing this thing, or hey, have you been to this show? Um, they do it on Thursday nights, it, and it's centrally located in Bushwick, so that if you wanted to get blasted afterwards, you could just go across the street to Three yeah. Diamond Door. Three Diamond Door, baby. <laughs> Three Diamond Door. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we we really, you know, that was part of the strategy of doing it, where it was like, yep all right, here, here's the place to do it. And no, nobody else is doing this monthly. So, mm -hmm. uh, uh, we really just tried to make sure that artists were getting something out of it, even though we couldn't pay them. They were, they were, we were trading mm -hmm. names of our directors that we were, you know, that we work with. We were giving them as much, um, publicity as we could, as we possibly could. You know, my, my follower count was rising at the same time while I was at the New Yorker. Yep. And so I think that lended a lot of, um, credibility to the show, you know, um, same with Aubrey too. It was just like, she and I were both getting, uh, our names out there. And while the show helped do that for us, we were also just like, let's use this as a beacon for other people to platform that we really like. And, um, uh, and, 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 you know, it's like, as much as I do self promotion for myself, I do really feel, believe that, you know, Instagram is kind of dumb. So might as well, <laughs> uh, let other people know about great artists that I like, uh, while I'm, while, while it's still a, while it's still a, an avenue that we can use and exploit. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that that was the whole basis of panels to the people was just yeah. like tell and everyone. I, and I feel like uh, I really like that because it's the whole aspect of like the field of dreams concept. If you build it, oh, they yeah. will come. And yep. like I, I had a really similar situation where I remember 
I think it, it's it's just been like kind of that evergreen conversation that happens on Twitter where people are like, bah, 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 paying so much money to get into competitions and whatever, whatever. And I'm like, oh, yeah. you know what? What I'll do is I will use the $300 that I typically use on competitions and put it into something to have it so that people can connect yeah. and network and whatever. Absolutely. And, um, you know, there was a, a place, a space that I went to a couple of things at uh, at the time. It's, it doesn't exist anymore. It was in Williamsburg in, I think, like the 2010s called Makeshift Society Brooklyn. Amazing. Yeah, they had one in uh, San Francisco, but I think it's like there is a company called Makeshift Society in San Francisco, but I think it's something else entirely now. Uh, this is the way the names are kind of they build know, and they and fall and they kind of come back around. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. So uh, I was like, I'm gonna have like a pizza party meetup during Illustration Week, which for anyone that has no idea what I'm talking about. Um, there was a proclamation, uh, that was actually written by, I think, I, I think it was by Mayor Bill de Blasio. I don't think it was Bloomberg that wrote it, but there was a proclamation about, you know, illustration week actually being a thing to promote, uh, this industry that we had that the mayor, uh, signed and oh, it centered around society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it, it, I think there's like an image on Instagram that the Society wow. of Illustrators has or something. But basically, uh, that was when like the Society of Illustrators and AIAP like kind of connected and had like a joint kind of press release of, you know, uh, events, you know, readings and talks and stuff like that. So for a few years, you know, when people referenced like Illustration Week, it was like this week of like, people wow. meeting up and also connected with uh pictoplasm fest as well. Yeah. Which is like the whole animation thing that came to New York sometimes. I don't know if it's still a conference at all yet still, but it, I mean, it, it all connected and it was amazing. Uh, and um, I was just like, Oh, like I'm going to have this happen like the day before the American illustration party. Yeah. yeah. Um, or um, American, uh, illustration american photography it's this thing celebrating their book that comes out after people enter that conversation I mean, a lot of like new york stuff in this in this podcast i'm sorry but i i swear i have non-new york people that's coming on uh for anyone that is listening so it's yeah, not gonna sorry, just all be sorry. naming Everyone. all my new york friends and just having it just be about us talking about living in brooklyn well, yeah but anyway yeah. Coming back to this, I I was like out of sp I do a lot of things out of spite, and I was just like I'm gonna have this networking thing, and it's gonna be great. And so I I just did the smart thing. I just contacted them, and I'm like, Yo, can I have a thing here? And they're yeah. like, Yeah, you know, like, and they like d gave me the space for free. That's incredible. I yeah. and I'm like, Whoa, this bucks, yeah, yeah. So I saved money on that. And I spent it on the pizza. <laughs> I spent it on the pizza, but also I like had like I like made little sketchbooks uh for people. I, just like it's like cheap paper yeah. and yep. all that. Yeah. And uh I collaborated on the cover of the book with uh my friend Jin Musari, incredible hand lettering mm -hmm. artist. And you know, they worked on that for free with me and they came and hung out. And uh, I hit up my friend, uh, Joey Cofone, who uh, is the co-founder of Baron Fig, the sketchbook company. And I'm like, 
yo, like, do you want to donate some sketchbooks and some pens and like a little bit of money to sponsor this event? And he's like, hell yeah. And so like, I basically, I think like after I still, I I did put a little more than $300 into it after it was all said and done, but roughly like less than $500 and having like an event space and becoming like an entirely big thing. Relatively Uh, cheap. You know, yeah, relatively cheap to like yeah. have an entire event. Yeah. And so uh, I did put on a second event, but it was a little bit more, I think, low key. Uh, yeah. Or I didn't. I think uh, I think it was uh, Jordan Saunders, I think, kind of picked up the okay. torch. Uh, and basically, uh, it, basically, the whole moral of the story is, is like, if you want to build community you can be the connector you can be the person that like sets up the thing that people will go to and it became a successful thing i made a lot of friends and also they brought people and we you know i've had friends kind of come and go from those relationships that started from that and uh anyone that's an artist that lives in like a like another city that's not new york that wants to do that is totally possible and you can try to find out ways of connecting with people online to then bring them to a space and then everyone uh, can kumbaya and, you know, or rag about like what's going on in their practice or celebrate or whatever. And it's awesome. What's great about doing these events is that like they're so I, I when I when I was angsty and trying to be an illustrator, I had so much, you know, jealousy and envy over everyone else who I thought was way, you know, successful. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've learned that it's like, I can either be jealous of them or I can be friends with them. And once you become friends with them, you lose all that jealousy and envy. You know, it's just like, now you feel like very happy when everyone is successful. Yeah. Just because it's, it just, it just breaks down that, 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 you know, distance between you Mm -hmm. and this person you might be jealous of. And it, you know, I'm sure you and I were very envious, jealous of, you know, what is it? The pizza pencil factory and pizza Island. Mm, And just like, Oh, I want to be part of that. Oh my God. I I haven't heard anyone talk about pizza Island for (laughs) so long. There's a lot of, I I feel like there was a lot of crossover with those two entities, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think of them synonymously and it's Mm -hmm. just like, you know, these are the best illustrators working in the coolest studio together. And I'm just like, oh, why can I have that? Um, and I still feel like that sometimes. But, you know, as as we've torn down those walls in our industry with, like, these community building, you know, events and activities, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, okay, I feel like, you know, there are people who want to be a part of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully, you know, we can we can have that barrier broken down of right. just like, man, I really want to be a part of something. Let's well, why you can, you, we, we want you to be part of it. Right. Come and hang out with us. One, yeah. of, one of those barriers got broken recently. Like last week you went um, to a artist residency at yeah, the Spruce true. 10 Inn. You want to talk a little bit about that and who you met there and how, yeah, how you connected? Yeah. And... <clears throat> the world of residencies is such like an enigma to artists, apparently. And it was definitely to me. I've always heard about them and I've always wanted to apply to them. And um, a lot of my New Yorker friends are just so smart and savvy about it. You know, um, 
Amy Kurzweil is this cartoonist who like strings along artist residencies and she's traveling to like San Luis Obispo to, to Berlin, um, every, you know, all over the place. And another friend of mine, Navid, who I saw in, uh, uh, he had a residency in South of France for a month. Um, and he got to meet all these other international artists, you know, painters from Norway, sculpture artists from India, all these incredible people. And so them, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, once you become friends with these people and you see all the cool things they're doing, it really lowers the boundaries and the barriers of like, oh, I can do that too. Why can't I do that? My friends are doing that. <clears throat> so I applied to one called Spruce to Nin, which is in the Catskills and um, it's nearby New York, you know, two, two hours outside of New York. Um, and I've heard of this one before from other artists and, um, cartoonists and yeah, on, on a whim, I would just apply to it and I was able to go up, um, and stay in this, uh, in this nice Catskills Inn that they closed down, um, for the entire month of November. Um, and they invite like 20 other artists to come during, uh, to stay a week, in November and I, I got to, when I saw the lineup of people who were going, um, I saw a few familiar names. I saw, um, Chanel Miller, who was a great writer, um, and, and, and author, but I also saw Ruth Chan, who is a cartoonist I've had on, um, uh, panels to the people. Mm-hmm. And I saw, uh, Josh Cochran, who, you know, we just talked about yeah, him, we just talked about a him. couple minutes ago. Great guy. But <clears throat> fabulous artist and uh, muralist. And I had met him like once at a convention for like five minutes. <clears throat> and it's, it's crazy. I had no idea they were applying. I had no idea they were applying. They had no idea we were all applying, but we all had met each other, known each other somewhat. We knew of each other's work. And we coordinated a week to go together so that we could just cut down on costs of rental cars. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all Asian American too. So, you know, they were down to bring up a rice cooker and, and go to, <laughs> go to Mitsuwa and get some Japanese groceries for the week. Nice. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And it was just like having, having those like-minded artists, writers, authors, you know, treat you the same as them as it, it just felt very, it just felt like a very good moment for me to be like, oh, wow, I'm, you know, some artists like Josh that I've followed for years and have wanted to, you know, be, you know, I've wanted, he, he, he had a studio in Greenpoint and worked with all, uh, had, had buddies who are all of the same class as he. And it's just like, now I'm getting to spend a whole week with him upstate. Um, it's just like, unimaginable but yeah residencies are cool i got a lot of cool work done a lot of solo time to work on future projects um and also just like learn about what you know i'm trying to get more into like authoring and books and book publishing right and who better to go with than people who are you know multiple children's books um under their belts you know people who are working on their second and third Mm -hmm. books um while they're at this residency, it's just <clears throat> kind of amazing to to get to have that access and that knowledge 
and they were all down to be fast friends with this, you know, each other yeah. and share that information just because, you know, they also want to know what working for the New Yorker is like. So oh, it was yeah. great. It so was great. everyone had something to share, basically. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, how did you find out about this residency? Because I know that uh, when I was in grad school, they talked about, like, you can go on NIFA's website, and which is, I think, New York right. Fine Art uh, Organization. And they have listings for, like, grants and art residencies and stuff. Where did you find this uh, at? So I learned uh, – there was another New Yorker cartoonist who had done it um, years and years ago. Her name's Sophia Warren. Um, I had – probably just seen it on her Instagram. Um, and they had a different iteration of the, uh, of the residency. It was artists came up solo mm-hmm. <clears throat> for a week and stayed during, I think they stayed while regular guests were staying at the res- uh, at the, at the inn. So they just like left one room for someone to go crazy in by themselves. <laughs> and then they made it a group thing, um, more recently. Um, and the group ones always are more attractive to me just because, um, you know, that sense of community is is something that we just don't get on a day-to-day basis. Right. Um, and I, I, I probably just saw it pass through again on Instagram. What's great about following other illustrators is that they just, you know, post resources and say, hey, this deadline is coming up. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, it was it was a great time to apply. My book was coming out. Um, so, you know, I think they take a lot of your credits into consideration at these residencies. Um, and so it was a perfect time to, to go up and try and work on my second book if I got in. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how I heard about cool. it was just other artists talking about it. <clears throat> Speaking speaking of books, you've worked on a, a series of books leading up to uh, the book that you just uh, your first uh, author illustrator title. But uh, I'd love to talk about your non author illustrated titles before we talk about that as we kind of crescendo into uh, you know we're coming to the end of the podcast here. Yeah, yeah. Most most of the other books I've worked on are like definitely they definitely are like gigs. You know, they're just mm-hmm. like all right. Um, at the time I felt like it, it didn't feel like just gig work. Now that I'm looking back at it, I'm like, oh, okay, that's, now I understand that that was stuff like, ah, yes, I was stringing along, uh, uh, these projects just so I could pay my bills. Um, (laughs) but no, I worked on, uh, the first few books I worked on were all like, you know, guides to being a first time dad. Um, and you know, they're beautifully written by a uh, former comedy producer, Adrian Culp. He used to work with, like, Adam Sandler. Um, and he's, like, a daddy blogger. Uh, and these books were, were they came to me because, um, you know, there's a shortage of dad manuals, first-time dad books mm-hmm. in the market. Um, and the ones that are out there were kind of corny. They're all, like, you're going to be a dad, bro. That's like a, that was like a title of a book. Oh it's like, God. you know, it's like for your best friend to buy you a book. It's like, dude, man, here's some stuff that you should know. <laughs> or like, you know, corny ones where it's like rock star dad with like the cover has a baby with sunglasses on it. <clears throat> um, oh my God. Yeah. No, so they wanted you. to go for more like, you know, designy, you know, they, they wanted more like, okay, we want a little bit classier look to this. 
something that isn't embarrassing, something that has humor. And they saw my New Yorker cartoons. Um, I had some parenting cartoons that I've made that they really responded to. And they were like, this is the kind of humor we want for the illustrations and the cover of our book. Um, And I felt very um, lucky to have that kind of work in my portfolio of this like lightness of this humor that some other illustrators just don't have. Um, and so that was a book that I worked, uh, a series of books that I worked on for Callisto Media. Um, and they're kind of going in the tank right now. <laughs> but yeah, and that just, you know, led to a few other kinds of books, joke books. I did a lot of joke books and dad, um, dad jokes. Um, I've done a few comics for people here and there. Guantanamo Voices is something I'm really proud of, um, where one of the editors at The Nib um, came out with a book where she interviewed people um, in all aspects of Guantanamo Bay and um, got to collaborate with her as well as a few other illustrators figuring out a color palette that united the book. And also then just like work on comics. Everything I've done is like illustration, you know? How, yeah. And so like getting to go back to comics is, is really exciting. Um, I've done covers here and there and, right. um, yeah. You even so, did a, I mean, like book adjacent, you even did a board game too as well. Yeah, man. It's, it's funny. It's, you know, I never know what other industries illustrators can work in. Tabletop games. Tabletop games. It's crazy. So yeah, my best friend from college, Josh Wood, he pivoted out of animation and Mm -hmm. he had always been a lover of board games and um, he left the animation industry and created his own board game called Cat Lady. Um, It's a resource management game where you're acquiring a bunch of stray cats and trying to feed them different chicken and milk combinations. Um... And he sold this game to uh, AEG Alderac Entertainment Group, and they hired him as an art director. And when he it came time for him to develop more games for them, he pulled me along to create um, Santa Monica with him. Um, and it's one of my favorite projects I've ever done um, because, you know, he lives in California. I live in New York. We don't get to see each other a lot. But this project, I was able to fly out to Santa Monica and hang out on the beach with him, take pictures, make observations, make jokes with him like we did in our stand-up days. And we just sat in a house. Um, the AEG offices is, uh, is just the owner's house. We sat in this house for like a week, just going through this game and knocking out ideas for different businesses and establishments that would exist on a fake Santa Monica board, beach boardwalk. Um, and so we just came up with a ton of puns. It was very Steven Universe meets Bob's Burgers. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I, we knocked out 80 different illustrations and cards for this game. Um, you know, arcades and roller coasters. We We got down to the nitty gritty with details of just like, you know, we should. We need to show towels being hung on the sides of uh, hotel railings to show that this world is populated um, with living, breathing um, tourists and locals. Um, and yeah, it was so fun to just incorporate all these dumb jokes. 
it was funny. Uh, we, we hung out with some of his playtesters and his boss, and they kind of got sick of us because we got back into our like comedy flow together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were like, they were like, I I don't under they they knew Josh a certain way, and they were like, oh wow, he's he's really funny when he gets together with this uh, with this dude that he knows from college. It was it was uh, fascinating um, to see um, one of my best friends from other people's eyes and just like our weird banter that makes everyone uncomfortable. Um, yeah. So, so creating that board game was, oh yeah, it's just a testament to the friendship we have and the fun that we have, um, when we get together, it it really reminded me of my college days. Um, I love it. Um, tell me about, uh, your, your book now that you, uh, put out, uh, can I put your dog? Uh, I, I got it at the strand. You, I remember you advertised on Instagram, like come to the strand. Uh, I'm going to have like the dog, like dog (laughs) sign it in the book, but also, you know, do a drawing of your dog in the book as well. Absolutely. um, That you like, you can bring to the strand and everything, which is like really fun. Um, Yeah. 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 Like tell me about like the development of the book and how it came to you. Like, you know, having a signing at the Strand. And are you going to be doing any other book signings uh, in 2023 or? Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, I probably won't, I don't, I don't have any other book signings lined up um, and, and definitely like drawing dogs <laughs> for three hours. I want to, two or three hours yep. takes a lot out of you. Um, so I'm glad I got to do it once and at the Strand. Um but we'll see. I've I've reached out to so many. It's it's strange. I reach out to a few bookstores, and you know sometimes they want you, sometimes they don't, and it's just like okay, I guess yeah. you know we we don't have to do this. Um, and uh, but you know yeah, that book came to me through Chronicle Books, one of my favorite publishers mm-hmm. of all time. I've loved their stuff, you know, since I was in high school. They I remember picking up a Dan Pararo. Um, bizarro cartoons autobiography uh, and, and collection of his work through Chronicle. They make all the art of Disney and art of Pixar books. Um, they put out Leah Rena Gorin's uh, books um, and Lisa Congdon's books. They're just like an amazing art publisher. And um, they also do great gift books. And, you know, this falls into that category of gift books. Um, so when they approached me with the idea, um, of me writing a dog book for them, I was like, hell yes. I mean, obviously I'm going to do it. Um, and yeah, it was a pretty quick turnaround. We did it within like six months. Um, you know, it is a short book. It's only like 64 pages. So, uh, and you know, excuse me, I was, it, it feels to me like, something I would do for the New Yorker anyway, as a Daily Shouts piece. So it was already something within my wheelhouse. And, you know, I was definitely on board. You know, the thing about taking some of these illustration projects is that it's like, I took on Santa Monica because I'm bet I was like, I am terrible at drawing buildings. Here's a project where I'm going to learn how to draw (laughs) buildings and make them interesting. Um, Same thing with this book. I was like, I don't know if I'm that confident in drawing dogs. I'm going to take on this project and learn how to draw dogs. <laughs> um, and, you know, 
one of my goals was like, all right, let's draw as many breeds as we can um, and draw as, ins as many insane interactions with dogs as we can. Um, and it was just like, you know, a place where I could flex some of my weirder ideas. They, they definitely had to pull me back a bit from some of the things I wanted to include. <laughs> I wanted to get, get crazy. I wanted to get like almost illegal, you know, yeah. um, I'll reveal this to you. Some of the pieces that we had to cut was like, I'm going to burn down my house just so that I could pet the Dalmatian that comes oh with the fire truck. Oh my or God. I'm going to sneak drugs into the airport just so I could pet the dog at oh the TSA God. that sniffs drugs out. Um, wow, that is outlandish. <laughs> yeah, they, they let me go to these places so that they can be like, all right, maybe, you know, we can we can we can pull back from some of those. Right. Um, but it was fun to like, you know, go there and and them being like, all right, tell us the weirdest stuff that you have on your mind and we'll we'll pull you back. Um, you can definitely like put those on like a print shop and be like the unedited version, like, you know. <laughs> Yes. Uh, you know, yes. who who let the dogs out version of uh you know this book. <laughs> yes, yeah. Can I pet your dog uncensored yeah. for real <laughs> after dark? Um yeah, X-rayed. Yeah, stuff like that would be super fun. This stuff Chronicle book said no to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Publish it with uh, retrofit or <laughs> yeah. one of the darker publishers. Um, so yeah, it was great. And then, you know, when it came to the doing signings for this book, I was like this is this is a this is a very humorous book. This is not a memoir. I'm not revealing a lot of stuff about me in it. I'm not talking about any big issues out in the world. I don't think I can go and do a panel talk about this book. So I tried to figure out other ways that I can have an event surrounding this book. Yeah. And obviously the big thing was I will draw your dog. People will come out for that, right? They don't. I, I, I'm not going to be able to sit down with an with a wonderful author and mm -hmm. and and wax poetic, but I can draw your dog, and uh, yeah. Well, people I mean, love their like, dogs I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I've read the book, uh, mm -hmm. and I, I think that, like, you know, for one, not every book has to be like super political. Uh, right. or like over the top, but I mean, the message, not. the message ultimately is, is like a sense of connection, you know, mm -hmm. to uh, not only just other people, but their pets and as like a way of building friendship and connections and, and yeah. all that. That's like the underlying theme of it. And that in its way is like a bigger topic that you can kind of build Absolutely. on for a talk. Um, but you know, without, you know, kind of going like, um, the way of being like, Whoa, what's why aren't all like children's books nonsensical and why does right. it, everything have to be whatever? But the, the way that you choose your characters and like all that is, uh, can be very political. Like it's not all white sure. people. It's like there, it, there's a, sure. there is a gradient of, you know, diversity that represents New York that is within your illustrations. And that, yeah. that in, in itself is incredible. Um, but yeah. 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 It was, it was, you know, that's one thing I really stand for when it comes to illustration is like, mm -hmm. we got to draw everyone. We can't just keep drawing white people. My, even my girlfriend right. is like, you know, you don't have to draw white people in your cartoons anymore. And I'm like, you're right. You I don't. To. There's a, not a, re there isn't a reason for me to do it because right. there's a million other people who do it. Um, so 
so this book, you know, not only did I want to have a diversity of dog breeds, of course, I mm-hmm. wanted to have a diversity of people and stuff, you know, types of people. Um, and I tried to fit in as many locations as possible too, not just New York, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and what's great about, you know, the signing was that it's like, yeah, I, I do want to pet your dog too. You know, I really, <laughs> you know, can I literally pet your dog? Um, at this event, um, and, you know, uh, it, it was definitely, you know, that event brought so much insight to me in terms of just, like, the kind of people in New York. Um, it's funny, the first people in line were all these, like, dog influencers <laughs> who gave me stickers of their dogs with the Instagram handles on them. It's unreal i can't believe you know a whole world exists and then i would look on their instagrams after the signing and they had visited other dog artists that did their portraits for them (laughs) it's so funny other illustrators have told me you know what i know this woman they came to an event that i did where i drew dogs (laughs) it's wild so it's like there is like an audience for dog <laughs> portraits for sure and people make it their lives and their personalities and i think that's kind of beautiful especially in new york yeah where it's just like oh you know God. you can be really into something you could be into your kids but if you don't have kids you could also be crazy into your dog it's nuts i mean yeah i mean not? haven't you gone to like a pop okay so yeah haven't you gone to like weird pop-ups you know, and and people bring their dogs to them and take photos of them eating sandwiches. Uh, I mean, I've been to the <clears throat> like dog Halloween yeah, uh, thing on the Lower East Side. Yeah. Um, I've also gone to CatCon in LA. Uh-huh. Uh The first the first <laughs> year they did it, and uh, also Jackson Galaxy has like a like cat camp I think that happens in New York. Uh, and I've I've been to that, and that's that's yeah. always fun. Um, yeah. Millennials aren't having kids; they're having pets. Uh, they're having pets, them. or they're having plants. They're having pets or plants. Yeah. yeah, there's like a big Washington Post article that's just like millennials. Yeah. They're just like all about their plants or something like that. And oh I'm like, oh, that's funny. It's uh, wild to me that the L.A. Times has a plant section. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Really? You know about this? They have no. a, it's all plants. I have cartoonist friends who've done you know plant comics for them, and I'm just like, you have. You have tech, business, lifestyle, and plants. You're crazy. Who so, would have, yeah, you know, I, I tell my students all the time, don't uh, illustrate stuff that, like, you know, exists. Uh, if you plan on going into editorial, illustrate mm-hmm. what you love. And yeah. now if you're a lover of just plants and things, you have one space where you can go and have your one niche really sing out loud. Absolutely. Yeah. Set yourself apart by coming up with the funky, weird thing that you love as your thing. Um, What are some things that you're currently obsessed with? Mm, What am I obsessed with? Um, Travel travels one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've been doing a lot of traveling this year. I got to, um, you know, 
what's what's great about my career right now is that I'm actually like able to afford <laughs> traveling. Um, it's been good working with the New Yorker because I've gotten a lot of great ad gigs with them um, through Condé Nast, and they are um, they pay very well, mm-hmm. and a lot of times they're not um, gross clients. So uh, I feel somewhat I have somewhat some integrity working with some some of these um, people, but you know the fringe benefit is that now I'm able to afford actually leaving my apartment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> going to getting out of Brooklyn state. and seeing the world. Getting out of New York. Oh my god. Um, so yeah, I've gotten to travel this year to a bunch of places. Um, I went to Portugal and um, Berlin in. Uh, Ju- July, and then in um, late, uh, uh, early October, mid-October, I got to go uh, of, to... Of 2023, uh, 2022, because we are... Yes. Uh, this is coming out in 2023, early 2023, so... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Just a little um, context. Yes, so summer of 2022, it was my... <laughs> I think a lot of people went to Portugal, a lot of people were in Europe this summer. Um, I went to visit my friend, Navid, in the... In the uh, La Napoule, France, um, and then got to hang out in Paris for a couple of days, um, and Cannes, um, and, uh, then I went to the Catskills, and then, um, I'm going to Mexico, Oaxaca, Mexico, um, in December. Um, and so travel has been, like, a thing that I've always wanted to do. I've gotten to do it a little bit, um, over the years, but it's always been, like, four years in between trips, you know? Um, and now that everything's opening back up, I have just like all these ideas and, and places I want to go to. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of that guy who like, uh, will also like learn about travel hacks, um, in order to maximize, Mm -hmm. you know, how much space I could fit into a carry on, you know, how much stuff I could fit into my carry on. So I don't have to go to baggage, baggage claim, um, and uh did, did you read that uh my thrillist article that i illustrated on like you know folding your clothes military style yeah yeah um, yeah i learned that from my brother because he 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 served in the military and he's like roll all your shirts yep. mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah uh bring not only bring um power converters but bring complete power strips yep so then you can have more power you know then you only need one converter then you have a whole strip where you can just plug in all your, you know, that, that, that's a new tip to me. I didn't know. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's cool. Genius, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, I mean, you know, then there's all the other travel hacks of like shove everything into travel lounge bottles and, you know, mm-hmm. put all your electronics in the top of your bag so you don't have to dig for them while you're going through the TSA. Um, yeah you know, wear joggers so that you don't have to wear belts, <laughs> um, all of that stuff. Or, so I'm crazy about that. Yeah. Stuff. Or you're like me and you just give the government your fingerprints and just get TSA pre-check in. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're fancy, man. Ooh, fancy. Yeah. I like, you know, you, you just go to That's Staples, like anywhere in America that has a TSA pre-check little office. Um, it was like when I went to sign up for it uh, earlier this year, I went to uh the staples i'm like where the hell is this thing and it's like this cubicle that is like has like a door and everything and 
you're like, this is it? Like, okay, it, it's all like, right. It's like it's something Very that you would feel like would be like in the Matrix or something. You're yeah. like, this is a all right. Like, it's so and unexpected. Fingerprint scanning. <laughs> yeah, they like take photographs of you. Uh, they do like a background check to make sure you don't have like felonies or something. Because I think okay. if you have felony, you can't get. I see a TSA pre-check. Yeah. Uh, you just gotta stay in line with everyone else, and you know, whatever. <laughs> So. Right, right. All right, that's not bad. Maybe I'll. Yeah, look I'm. Into li- it. I'm. I'm living Travel. the keep keeping my shoes and belt on life as I go through. Uh, uh, I know. I know. Everything is so nice in other countries because they don't make you do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not not everyone in a not everyone in other countries wants to have the American experience of just <clears throat> o- over policing everything about you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one thing I'll complain about. New, you know, mm-hmm. America is all. Our infrastructure sucks. Now, uh, is there any places that you have on your on your bucket list of places you want to go yet? Yeah, so um, I'm going to Japan for the third time, um, hopefully next year. Cool. That's just like a bucket list to go because my girlfriend's been complaining <laughs> for years that I haven't taken her. Um, so I actually haven't gone to Osaka. I've been to Kyoto and Tokyo, and I've actually been north to Sapporo and Hokkaido, but I've not been to Osaka, and I feel like that's just on everyone's Japan bucket list. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the more inaccessible a place is um, and far, I'd like to go to New Zealand and Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, would love to go to Africa, of course. Um, yeah, and, I want to go to Morocco. Yeah. Morocco sounds great. Yeah. yeah. And like Casablanca yeah. and just like Gosh. those like northern African countries. Just like mm-hmm. Yeah, like my my partner asked if I ever wanted to go to Ethiopia and I'm like, I don't wanna have like a Dave Chappelle thing where I like <laughs> where like I get back in touch with my roots because my father's my, my, my father is from Ethiopia. He immigrated uh-huh. to America. And yeah. I'm like, I don't I don't know if I wanna like have that moment where I'm like I'm with my people and like <laughs> Just like give up like everything for like a couple of years or something. Wow! Yeah, yeah. No, I've been back to Vietnam and I personally didn't care for it. I know people love Vietnam, but I yeah. also, yeah, yeah. My mom doesn't really like going back either. I'm sure a lot has changed since the last time I've been back, but I wasn't crazy about it. I'm definitely a city boy, so um, yeah, yeah, Vietnam can be rough sometimes. But I feel like you and I are like two peas in a pod where we go like upstate New York and we get nature and then we come back and we're like, what? That was, that was, that was fun. That was enough. (laughs) Yeah. Like we're now back to like smog and dirt and pizza rats everywhere. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's funny being out in the country and, and romanticizing. Oh, I'd love to have a cabin up here. And then you think about, how much upkeep there is and how much bugs there are yeah. and how cold it gets. And you're like, Hmm, never yeah. mind. I, like, Oh, that, yeah. that'd be nice to have a, have like, like a second, like vacation oh, yeah. home. Oh, yeah. Just buy for cheap and whatever. And mm-hmm. maybe it's like a studio size place. Cause you know, it's whatever. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, the crazy thing now is that it's like, okay, so I want my brother to get a place yeah. <laughs> upstate. He's got the he's got the money to do it, mm-hmm. but you know what's really sad about living in New York is that it's like, all right, 
am I just buying this place so that I could stick all my comic books and board games <laughs> somewhere that isn't taking up space yeah. in my yeah it's 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 really just like I want I do I want I want a nice livable storage facility <laughs> yeah in in the Catskills yeah or we just buy like you know a nice Brooklyn brownstone eventually. Uh, yeah. I mean, with the recession yeah. on recession on the on the cusp, we might be able to get in the ground floor of buying, you know, uh, these brownstones, you know, at uh, pennies on the dollar. So, yep. Do you, do you know what I do uh, every couple of months? What? I Google Dav Pilkey um, House <laughs> or Dav Pilkey Net Worth, and I'm always like, you know, Dav Pilkey. He like no. made he made Captain Underpants. He made oh. Dogman. He's yeah. like the richest children's book cartoonist. More than uh, the guy who created uh... Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Yeah, yeah. Diary of the Diary Je- uh, Jeff Kinney, I think his name is. Yeah, he owns like his own library in like Massachusetts or something. What? Yeah, or not library. It's like a bookstore that he built with his kids and stuff. And he'll do readings and stuff there. And it's like, that's huh. a beautiful dream that I'll never have because I will not be a million dollar <laughs> book cartoonist with a thousands of titles under my name. Yeah, you know, you never know, Jeremy. You might you never know. You, you might. might be like um uh Daniel Clouds or Andrew Adrian Tomine and just have like you know, that's your true. comics bought up and making movies and then you'll you know That's true. Possibly. You, yeah. you never know. Yeah, selling screenplays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, uh, you know, uh, it'd be a dream to get a brownstone, is you know, is what my, I'm uh, a friend of mine and I basically once said, like, it, it's probably a good idea to kind of keep as many of the things, drawings as much as possible because you never know, you might get like a show at MoMA or something and yes, as, as like a retrospective, like your entire life. I think about that all the time. I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, how do I hold on to all my shit so that the Whitney or Columbia will want my archive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, you know, not, not to go too dark, but like, um, you know, when, uh, in 2020, you know, with everything kind of going down, I was like, I'm going to get life insurance and I, oh, I got yeah. life insurance. And also, uh, Man, I was just thinking about that this week. I, yeah. I, yeah. And, uh, I, uh, also, I mean, I can tell you, more about that off sure. off, off pod but yeah, it's uh, super boring for everyone else to hear <laughs> well yeah i mean i talk about it in my business class but okay yeah but it's it's a whole other topic that's really unique to like where you live and all that but uh i've been thinking about like my will too as well oh. and i it's like i i kind of want to have it in a way where i'm like how can i give like all of my digital like psds and everything mm-hmm. to the society of illustrators like just donate yeah. all my artwork yeah just, like you have it you you mm-hmm. own it like and all so i don't know like, if you own it but <laughs> well no i mean i'm yeah. dead who cares like you know, oh i see i see yes yes, yes yeah yes. that's what the will's right. for but right. uh but yeah when i pass like you have it forever here's here's a dropbox folder just put it somewhere yes kind of thing. Yeah. who takes over your estate when you're dead yeah, and I mean, yeah. you know, my my mom's not. My sister doesn't know shit for shit. And right, I don't want kids. <laughs> yeah, my my partner and I were like, I don't know, like, yeah. So just give it to them, and they can use it as an educational thing or something. I don't know, educational or you know, you could build scholarships out of it. I'm sure. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, 
especially with the royalties that cartoonists yeah. get. So uh, what? So uh, you're also like obsessed with like TV stuff and and cooking as well. Cooking for sure. Yeah, my girlfriend uh, is her, herself a very cool um, cook and mm-hmm. chef, and um, she's trying to build out her giant book collection of cookbooks. Um, and yeah, we do a lot of cooking together. Um, I'm trying to, I've, uh, I've made more and more Vietnamese dishes, especially during the pandemic. I've perfected a dish, a Vietnamese pork, um, uh, braised pork dish that I tell everyone now that is better than my mom's. Um, yeah. And I'm like, everyone can do this. Every Asian person is able to cook better than their parents. Um, I know you don't believe that, but I was able to do it. Um, and it's really, for me, it was just really getting a handle on cookware and materials and also then just figuring out, you know, the, I think the, the best way to do something. And Mm -hmm. so like for this particular dish, I do it in a cast iron pot. Um, my mom used to do it in a glass pot. And I think the cast iron pot just makes it more smoky and more tender. Um, And then this is a dish that blows people's minds because one of the key ingredients in it is coconut soda. And everyone, you know, people will be like, what the f*** is coconut soda? And it's like kind of, you know, it's not even an Asian staple ingredient. It's just like for some reason, coconut soda is perfect for this one dish. Um, And so braising this pork this pork belly and and pork stew pork in coconut soda over a couple of hours um in a cast iron pot just changes the game in in terms of you know what i what i normally knew this dish to be um so um so i've been obsessed with like trying to recreate dishes that I can do better than my parents <laughs> just cause I don't see them a lot as yeah. often these days. Um, and yeah. And then I'm just like, you know, I'm a TV nut job. It's, I think everyone somewhat is these yeah. days. Um, I'm crazy about white Lotus right now. Oh. Um, I know this, I know this podcast is coming out later, so I'm sure we will all get to know uh, who, who, who dies. Oh, but yeah. right now, I don't know any. I don't. I can't tell who's gonna be dying soon. Yeah. Right um, now, I'm like um, watching season one of Lupin. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm kind of coming around. Idris, and... Idris Elba. No, not not Idris Elba. Uh, no, oh, he's the French one, right? Yeah, the French one where uh, he's like yeah. a master thief and disguise artist and. Yeah. Or uh, as they say in the show, he's a gentleman. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Awesome. So I've been really been kind of digging into that and just all the other things uh, that have been just coming out. I feel like I feel like there was a point in time when I watched uh, stuff on Hulu and Netflix and stuff that I was like, I was on it. Like I watched it all and it was great. And now there's so much. There's too much stuff. Mm-hmm. There's too much stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, as much as I try to keep up with all the big hitters, like Andor was killer. Yeah. I'm watching Fleischman is in trouble now. Mm-hmm. There's also just like way too much stuff. I mean, what's great about doing New Yorker cartoons and illustration is that it's like the inking process is yep. like 
and coloring processes where I can catch up on a lot of stuff. But even then, it's half watching technically. Right. Um, I, I've been like when I've been working lately, I've been doing a lot of like stuff with YouTube where I've been listening mm-hmm. to like political commentary. Yeah. Uh, and I've also been doing a lot of like illustrators who have YouTube channels that are like, yeah. come like watch and listen to me while I pack my orders kind of thing. And <laughs> and them talking about like doing like a like life in the week kind of like YouTube things, which I feel like is not a TikTok thing, but it's definitely like TikTok has elevated that form of storytelling that absolutely made people be like, oh, like what is this? Like makes it more that. digestible. Yeah. Yeah. And like a 30 second to three minute kind of like thing, uh, mm-hmm. which is cool. Uh, I mean, uh, we didn't touch upon this in like uh, the uh, other section of the podcast, but uh, how have you been liking TikTok as a avenue of uh maybe promotion or maybe it's something fun or maybe it's something in between uh uh, as someone who you know i i've been more of a lurker than someone who's created things and i'm kind of interested in jumping into it in the 2023 kind of like realm and i'd love to hear your feedback on like your experience as someone who's also an elder millennial yeah yeah (laughs) elder millennial um yeah no so my my partner, Natasha, she is a couple of years younger than me by like three years. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the one who kind of turned me on to TikTok. She works in TikTok uh, as her day job um, in social media stuff. So it's it's really nice to have someone who is privy to all of that. Um, and, you know... Maybe it is a thing as that as we get older, we just have this innate fear of being <laughs> too old yep. and out of touch. So, I mean, I got into it and I like, I get it now. I understand it. And it's nice that I have someone who is also, you know, like into it and gets it. Um, and that really, you know, just the shareability of, of sharing stuff through TikTok and being like, have you seen this? weird insight on a specific conversation we had two weeks ago. Um, Stuff like that is really insightful and helpful. But for me, when it comes to creating on TikTok, it for, I, I'm just like fascinated now how easy video editing is. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it was definitely daunting to me when I first started making TikToks and I'm just like, all right, um, there's a lot of dragging my fingers and cut, trying to cut things, and that was very unappealing to me. But now I can, you know, I've gotten over that, and it's yeah. much easier. They still take a lot of time, but um, you know, for me, I'm just like, I'm just making commercials. Yeah. <laughs> Every you know, everything I've made is somewhat digestible and palatable, but they are inevitably something that I'm using to promote my work. Um, whether it is like packing an order or just showing how I archive a magazine, um, that I'm in. Yeah. It's, I, I'm, it, it, it's really just a way for me to slow down a process of mine. Mm-hmm. And just come to understand what it is that I actually do and be able to teach that to other people who want to do it. Too. so it's like you know right shipping shipping stuff out of your store is such a pain in the ass um 
but once I got over, and and I hear this all the time from people who have stores where it's like, I don't want to open a store and start going to the post office. And when I hear more and more people say stuff like that, it makes me want to do it because it's like, oh, if you're not going to do it, that eliminates a bunch of New Yorker cartoonists doing it. Here's the thing. (laughs) Here's the thing. My web store is like 98% automated. Sure. Yeah. 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 Drop shipping and all that. Yeah. I, I have like... I have a Shopify store, which is expensive as hell. And I feel mm-hmm. like because I have that, it's made people want to actually buy things over like me having a society six page for like 10 years. Yeah. Oh, Cause everyone's absolutely. just like, Oh, like, what is this? All right, whatever. And yeah. it, it feels like mm-hmm. it's a lesser quality, even though I just like when they place an order, it's just going to print full and it's just shipping them yeah. the t-shirts and yeah all that the only thing i'm actually like shipping is like stickers you know like just stuff that i like i need like a little bit more quality control over that i I, like i've bought prints i've done that to kind of make sure that everything is good but you know like nothing's like touching my hands before it's going out Um, that's great yeah yeah i advise a lot of people to at least do that yeah yeah because at the very minimum like even if you have like a in-print store like you know why yeah. not like people are gonna buy stuff yeah. if they really want it absolutely yeah, yeah. i think for me it, uh, it's really important to sign the work so i have stuff oh, sent yeah. to myself yeah and so um i do have like towers and towers of prints yeah. um sitting around but prints are way easier to deal with than t-shirts if i was doing apparel definitely do drop shipping yeah, i think i had like a like a big cartel page for like the longest yeah. time and yeah. I used to have like a Epson printer and mm-hmm. I had um, just like, you know, zine, like, you know, just boxes of zines and buttons yeah. and stuff that I sold. And I think that was like the the, the appeal that I didn't really like. And so, uh, Absolutely. When, yeah, I think in like 2020, yeah. I like transitioned to just having everything just shipped out, uh, automated. Yeah. Uh, I was That's like, great. this is this is this is the route. Anyway, yeah, I, uh, I've taken a lot of your time, Jeremy. Uh, thank you so much for oh, being on the pod. Before I let you go, uh, please tell us uh, everywhere we can find your work. Yeah, I'm on Instagram, uh, you know, at Jeremy Wins, Twitter at Jeremy Wins. Um, That's J E R E M Y W I N S, right? Correct. Yeah, Jeremy Wins, as if you're in Mortal Kombat and I oh, kick yeah. your ass. Jeremy Wins. Um, uh, and I also got a hive because <laughs> yeah. I'm scared that Twitter's going to implode, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it will. By, by the time um, this podcast comes out, we'll hopefully uh, it does yeah. or doesn't. We'll see. Yeah, we'll be in a whole new landscape, I'm sure. Um, I'm on TikTok as well, but yeah, go to my store. I'm a, I've got a big cartel, Jeremy Wins uh, uh, Life at big dot bigcartel dot com. Um, I'm always updating my website. And yeah, grab my book if you can. It's out in stores. Can I pet your dog? Um, it makes a great Valentine's Day gift. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also have it on my store. Um, I don't know how many copies I'll have left, but um, if we do, uh, you can still grab it on my store and I'll draw a dog in it for you. Um, or they can just buy it directly from Chronicle Books or any independent bookstore uh, yes. that's out there. 
Yeah. So yeah, don't, don't buy not, don't give Bezos any more money. Buy it from a local bookstore. <laughs> Absolutely. Perfect. Um yeah, and I don't know what I'm doing in twenty twenty three yet. So uh well, hopefully there will yeah. be some more announcements. We'll coming. see. Just uh, oh, oh you know what? Oh. This might come out um around the time of the red envelope show. I'll be part of that oh, yeah. uh in twenty twenty three doing a uh have some have some rabbit artwork to to showcase at it's gonna be at my plastic heart which is a great oh, venue in greenpoint is uh the guy uh who uh ran grumpy bert still doing that organizing yep that's all him Amazing. Bert, yeah, albert is uh he's such a nice dude man oh, nice. i love that guy so all right yeah. well Jer- jeremy Thanks for being on the pod. Uh, I will Dude, hopefully, yeah, uh, ho- hopefully we can hang out at Lazy Susie sometime and uh, <laughs> get some coffee or something. I know I miss you, bro. It's good to be able to chat with you here and there, and uh, hope you're doing well. All right, thanks. Much love. Cheers, dude.